Hi, this is Mike Howe from Metal Church, and you are listening to Focus on Metal. Hey, Metalhead, Scott Thompson here, and raise those horns because I'm about to administer your weekly dose of Focus on Metal. Got something a little bit different for you this week as uh, we welcome in a guest contributor to the show. Haven't done this for uh, years and years, but we're going to do it this week. Back in the spring of 2018 on episodes 375 and 376, Richie had conducted some extensive talks with producer Jason Slater about a lot of the uh, Queensryche material that Jason had worked on. And the guy that was behind setting all of that up with Jason was journalist Brian J. Heaton. And if you've ever been on the net listening or looking at some of the Queensryche articles, there's a good chance that Brian's either quoted on there or is even the guy that provided the interview. So this guy is uh, very, very involved with the Queensryche history. And uh, at one point, he also had a uh, website called anybodylistening.net and you can also find him up on Twitter at Brian J. Heaton. So as I said, we haven't had a guest contributor for quite a long time, but uh, this is pretty cool that uh, this year was the 10th anniversary of the American Soldier album, which was kind of a unique one for the band in, uh, in one way that it was the first time they were recording as a quartet, even though they did have folks like Damon Johnson and Kelly Gray and other people contributing to the album on guitar and stuff. The, this was the first time that it was just, uh, you know, Michael, Scott, Eddie, and Jeff, when of course... Jason Slater in the production seat. So with that 10th anniversary in mind, I'm going to turn the show over to Brian Heaton as he talks with Jason Slater in depth about Queensryche's American Soldier album. In 2009, Queensryche released American Soldier, an album constructed around the theme of military service and the stories of U.S. servicemen and women. Following the album's release and tour cycle, a lot of changes in the Queensryche camp occurred, most notably the departure of vocalist Jeff Tate. As a result, American Soldier is largely forgotten by both the current band and its former singer, with the latter throwing in a track or two as he can in more obscure live sets. But now, on the 10-year anniversary of American Soldier's release, we revisit a forgotten gem by Queensryche with a track-by-track retrospective discussion with the album's co-writer and producer and returning guest to Focus on Metal, Jason Slater. How are you, Jason? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for doing the interview. Anything for my brother, man. Well, let's um, let's go uh, take it from the top. The first song on American Soldier um, is Sliver, and I oh, yeah. Sliver to be interesting um, from uh, in more ways than one uh, because it introduced the song is introduced by a guest vocalist, an, a Navy rescue swimmer by the name of AJ Frado. Um, I guess this is kind of like boot camp for um, an introduction to boot camp for the listener um, musically. I know you're really fond of this song, and it's one of the ones that you co-wrote, um, that you wrote musically, and, and Tate wrote the lyrics to. Can you talk a little bit about that song and, and why you're so fond of it? it? It started off as like a funk riff. So it, it was like a funk guitar part that I straightened out and took the funk at us uh, to, to, to make it metal, <laughs> to try and make it metal. Um, you know, it, 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 it's a really fun song, I think. Like, musically, uh, it, it, it does a bunch of stuff. And it started off as, like, very much like a party song. Like, you know, some of the demos, some of the early demos of, of that guitar part and everything else, uh, you know, it, 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 it really might have been a Sly Stone song or something at some point. Uh, and we just worked, we straightened it out and, and turned it into rock. And, and again, it's like, we're going to have this, this, this theme of it's pretty much note for note and part for part, the same as the demo that, that I played on entirely. Uh, the, the final demo, um, the final de- demo of the song, is it, dif- is it difficult to take a song that was written in a vacuum by you for either just off the cuff or for a different project? and then turn it into something that's more 
progressive hard rock or a hard rock thing for a band like Queensryche. It, 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 tell, take me through that process a little bit, particularly for Sliver. Uh, why was that so, is it so, is it difficult? It, it's not really that hard because all you're doing is you're changing, you're slightly changing rhythms uh, and you're, you're changing tones, you know, like that could be a country song if I wanted it to be. It, it, it's, it's just, you know, it, it's about the sounds, you know, you put a distorted guitar on there and you, you, you take, you know, uh, some of the swing out of it and you can make it whatever you want. Uh, it, it's a, it's a thing. <laughs> no, and you know, the, one, the one thing you haven't, haven't mentioned though is why do you, I know, I know you, you've been on record a couple of times, both with me and in other interviews for this record 10 years ago about saying how that's one of your, your favorite, your favorite songs. Um, that yeah, you've kind I, of written. I, I, What's so special about it for you? I just wish I had held on to that one for myself to do something with <laughs> instead of putting it on a Queensryche record. Um, I don't know. There's just something super engaging about it to me. Uh, you know, I listen to. I, I, I actually feel like the demos are better than the record version, um, and not like in an ego way, just in a way that's like more satisfying to me. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's really, really not a thing that's like, I mean, this is what I do for a living. So when I give something up, I give something up. And uh, that's just one I wish I hadn't given up. My favorite part of that song, personally, is the, uh, the how, how the intro transitions to, to the clean verses. Um, yeah. It sounds really, really clean once you get into those verses. And, and it's, yep. it's, it's. It, the emotion of the song kind of gets heightened because of the, how clean those verses are. You can actually kind of feel what kind of Tate is saying, which uh, yeah, I, I, which is interesting because you mentioned that it, that it started as a funk song, and that introduction, I guess, is where that was. Yeah, it, I mean, it's all just kind of in that in that guitar part. Uh, you know, the dialogue kills me mm-hmm. on that song. Like it's like okay, so I can wait like five minutes to <laughs> not that long, but. <laughs> To, to hear this song, uh, I think it was. Like I think bit, it was interesting that Frado that Frado was selected to do that. I mean, all respect to him being a, a Navy veteran. Um, it seems like he oversold it a little bit. I think in the beginning. Um, yeah, you know, like I'll, I'll I'll never take anything away from a veteran, but like you know, Jeff Tate has never fought for anything but money. <laughs> so it's just a weird sentiment coming from him. Understood. <laughs> Well, the the second track on the record is actually the one that um, uh, I'm really fond of it musically, um, and it's called Unafraid. And this is one I have a bunch of questions about, but this is one where Jeff used all interviews in the verses, I believe, and they had them in mono, the, the music in mono, so that you can actually understand what the soldiers were saying. But you created, and this is something that you wrote musically, um... It's it's really heavy. It's got some great verses underneath. What do you remember when you were writing the writing the music to the song? I I wrote that music in 1998, uh, and it was entirely a, a song for my band Snake River Conspiracy. It didn't get used as, as is a whole bunch of stuff on this record, um, and it just kind of got copied. Some of the original demo tracks are actually on the recording. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it goes that far back. You know, lyrically, so, you know. lyrically I found with that song, it, it, it was, as a fan, it was kind of, it was kind of different for them because it, you really didn't have Tate singing at all in the verses. So it was, it was yeah. interesting in that there was something interesting to listen, listen to, but at the same it time... It was different. Yeah, at the same time, the chorus, though, the chorus was huge. It, it might have been one of the best choruses that Tate's put together um, in quite some time up until that point. And it always struck me as that it was a shame, because if it had actual Tate lyrics, um, it could have ended up being something that was really big for them. And I know originally it did have lyrics. Um, do you yeah. remember anything of that that whole period? I know your your assistant played some guitar tracks on it at the time, if I remember yeah, right. Yeah, Leo played a whole bunch of guitar on, on all of this record. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the, the demo from 1998 or 99, whenever it was, was called Unafraid. <laughs> okay. And, and it, it, I think the theme just got stolen. 
you know, like it, it was a thing where, where, you know, I, I gave him that old demo as, you know, one of, I don't know how many songs, uh, of things to go through to see if he wanted to work on them. Cause the process has always been like, you know, I'll give him a ton of songs and then, uh, you know, he'll decide what he wants to do and then he'll convince the band to record them. And that's always been the way. So if, 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 if Jeff's not feeling it, it's not getting done. Uh, it, 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 you know, despite anybody else's feelings about a song or anything, he's not even going to try. Um, and, and that, that's kind of been the theme of, of me working with them has just been like, I'm, I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll give you like everything that I've ever written in life that hasn't been used and I'll write a record's worth of stuff and hand it to you. Uh, and pick through that and make the records you want because th- there's no convincing him otherwise. And Unafraid was one of those, but I, I think he, he liked the track but couldn't come up with lyrics. And so he used other people's words. Yeah, it, it was... It, I know the... If I remember correctly... That, 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 that track probably could have been like, you know, the best song in the record, I think. I don't know. Uh it, it could have done something um, if effort was put in. Well, I know the the from a from a guitar standpoint, and, and all over this record from a guitar standpoint, I, it, it was marketed at the time as, as Michael Wilton doing all the guitar tracks on the record. And the thing that stuck out for me was uh, Wilton's solos. And I know the one in Unafraid was something like he hadn't up to that point. It had been a while since he really. Kind of let played, loose on, a little played bit. on a record, yeah. Played on a record, actually. Um. <laughs> but it sounded. It, I felt like it was kind of like capturing some of the some of the the attitude and the the nuance of the of the past the, a little bit. Um, the, the, spi- the spirit of Queen Drake is in that song. That's where I was getting at. Yeah, it's really there. Like, and, and it, it could have been something incredible had somebody bothered to lean towards their band. <laughs> And just write something as opposed to put a bunch of dialogue in. All right. Well, the next track on the record is is Hundred Mile Stare, and and this is credited to uh, Kelly Gray and, and Jeff. Um, yeah. And I remember reading something not too long ago. Let's see if I can pull it up here. Uh, Tate calls it one of like his the his favorite songs on on, on the record. It, it's just talking about soldiers having kind of doubts about what they're going yeah. through and, and looking at things. Um, it also struck me as I as definitely a Kelly Gray type of a track. The guitars just had him his his vibe all over it. But you kind of didn't you kind of have a little bit of um, didn't you work on some of the the melodies in that song a little bit? I yeah I I you know uh, I I turned in a, a demo that was very similar to how the song ended up, but a, a few chords got changed around and I didn't get credited on it. And it's totally cool. I don't care. Uh, it it you know. Kelly did a great job with that song. Uh, the, the again, the bass line is pretty damn close to the demo, and all of the melodic guitars are exactly the same as the demo. Uh, if, if you know, if it was a thing that actually mattered, like if that song was a hit, there, there'd be lawsuits. <laughs> but it's not. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, Kelly did a really good job with that song. Okay. Yeah, I, I know the, the lyrically, it, it, it was about having conviction and believing what you've been taught in, in boot camp and as a, you know, with the military and, and how you feel kind of unstoppable. Um, you know, you can, you can talk about that in a whole bunch of different contexts, but I, I think it was meant more of a confidence standpoint than we can accomplish anything. I think that's where what Tate was trying to, to convey to with that song. And I, I thought Kelly and you did a really great job with the music to kind of heighten that. Um, I know the music yeah. came first, but I think it worked. I mean, a, a, a lot of a lot of what to me makes this record decent is just the tension between me and Kelly at the time, because we, we were we were both fighting for like the best of what we could do. Uh, I wasn't allowed to touch a microphone or or do anything just because that was Kelly's gig, uh, but a lot of other things got deferred to me. Um, so you know, I think it really is the combination. I, I think that's that's the the entirety of why this record ended up better than Mind Crime Two, 
sonically and everything else is because Kelly did a rad job. Okay. Um, at 30,000 feet is the next tune on the album. And yeah. it, it comes from a perspective, at least from lyrically, of, of what a pilot feels as a pilot is you know, engaging the enemy and dropping bombs on a target and that kind of disconnected feeling. I remember when that song came out, it really felt like an old-school epic type of Queensryche song, like you know, a la Anybody Listening or um, something to, to that degree or to a lesser degree kind of Roads to Madness E, um, just in terms of pacing and emotion. When I heard the demo, which you shared with me, it was really keyboard-oriented. Where was that change from? It was more like screaming in digital kind of like. Where yeah. was that change from the demo to the final product musically, and, and how involved were you in making that shift, and why? Uh, you know, there was, I, th- I think there's another demo or two after the one that I gave you that I just don't have anymore uh, that has Leo playing guitar on it. Um, And at some point, you know, it it just got turned into what it was to fit the theme that was happening at the time because I didn't have anything to do with the dialogue. Right. So I was entirely out of the picture by the time the dialogue got recorded and and stuck into everything. So I was just trying to make, like, a record that would flow into itself. Uh, You know, here's the order, here's the songs, and here's how they, they all work together. And that, that was it. And then the dialogue got thrown in last minute, I think, as a marketing thing. Uh, and, you know, fr- fr- from there, <laughs> uh, you know, life just became, a, 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 you know, a little bit of a headache to listen to the record. Well, I know um, with, with the, that, that, go ahead. that demo, that, that, that song, uh, you know, at some point, Jeff just said he wanted X, Y, and Z, and I tried to give it to him. Uh, you know, I'm really happy with the demo of it, and, you know, I'm cool with the recorded version as well. You've mentioned uh, Leo a couple times, and, and I'm I'm pretty sure listeners don't know who Leo is. I, oh. I met him once. He was an outstanding guitar player, and, and I, I wanted to ask him how, if from listening from the demo versions to the recorded versions, did Leo... Um, and did a lot of his solos, did, did, did Michael kind of capture the essence of his solos, or did Michael really do his own thing? Because I thought the... Some, some, some of them are very copied. Mm-hmm. I'll say that. Um, you know, Leo, he's an amazing guitar player, and, but, you know, uh, his name is Leo Larson. Uh, he's, he's an incredible guitar player. Uh, you know, he went on to do things outside of music. He teaches boxing now. Um, awesome dude can still play the hell out of the guitar, uh, but the music thing just wore him down. Um, and, you know, he put a lot into that record. He really did. You know, when, when I listen back and then listen to the demos, it's like, wow. <laughs> I, I forgot how much Leo contributed to that. But he had a horrible deal with Coindrake, so they were, they basically, he got paid five grand to do all that work. Wow. Yeah, uh, and got treated like shit. Um, but he made a total of $5,000, and there's, you know, of every song that I worked on, he put his heart and soul into playing guitar, because I can't play like that. You know, I can tell him what to play <laughs> and, and show, show him what I want, uh, but I can't, you know, my hands don't move that way and never have. And so much of his stuff just got copied, because I, you know... Again, I was foolish. Like I, I, I figured I was just making a map, and and not things that were actually going to get copied. It's just like here's the vibe, and so Leo provided a lot of the vibe. <laughs> okay. Um, one of the, one of the reason why I asked was because I was um, the the solo for at thirty thousand feet is something that that stands out for me, kind of like unafraid. I felt like um, it was. It, it was indicative of the. It, it kind of copied the lyrics of the song, and so there was parts where you were dropping bombs on on different things, and it seemed like Michael's style a little different than Michael's normal style. Um, yeah. But it was really electric. It was really it was really captivating, and I thought it heightened the song a lot. And I didn't know how much Leo had a part in that. Yeah, I mean, it, those things very much got copied, but not like you know, it's not to the to, to the 
necessarily to the detriment of Michael. It's just that, you know, the singer wanted things a certain way and everybody wanted to get a record done. And so it was just easier to, all right, like I'll mimic whatever. Let's just get done. Um, it, it was, you know, that that was a thing at a certain point. <laughs> okay. Well, the the climax of the song is next with uh, of, of the album rather is next with a dead man's word that sits right in the middle there, and uh, it was it was something that I found pretty captivating, at least lyrically, um, with a story about you know a soldier whose uh, people go behind enemy lines to rescue a soldier. Um, yep. And I felt uh, there was a I'm trying to remember. I think it was from New Jersey. His name was uh, Vinny Solano. Um, I'm looking him up right now. It's Vince Solano. Um, he won a contest, I guess, on one of their tours, and he played um, I, I like, part I like of the rescue. I, 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 I like Vinny better than Vince. That sounds I, I like do a, too. A, it, it, it sounds like a pure Long Island dude to me. <laughs> well, he's either <laughs> Long Island, New York, or New Jersey, Islander. one of the three. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but it was a, you know, all kidding aside, it was a really serious song, and I, I thought vocally yeah. it was pulled off really well, that point-counterpoint. Instead of the guitars being point-counterpoint, the vocals were point-counterpoint, almost like Sweet Sister Mary was back in the day. But musically, I, I also thought that it was one of those songs that really told the story musically. What do you remember mm -hmm. about that song from, like, beginning to end? And I know there was some clean guitars and then a really heavy, like, tool kind of, like, riff, and, you know, as it starts. What do you remember from that one? Ah, give me a second. I'm going to pull it up on the iPad real quick <laughs> so, so, so I can remember it. <laughs> but it was really... Um, it, oh, that's, it was, an SRC, that's an SRC song. That's another Snake River Conspiracy song. Okay. So somewhere it from just, the late 90s, early 2000s? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's definitely it. Yeah, uh, I'm looking yeah, some it, stuff it, it, up, and, and Tate has something here. It was a little, like, I think it was a track-by-track -track thing that he wrote up about it. He said that there were... It was since the story of the song was set in the Middle East, there were Middle Eastern modes and Arabian scales. Um, mm -hmm. Was that in the original demo, or were those added afterwards? No, every, after every, every, that, that is a note for note copy of the demo from 1990, whatever. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the thing with Jeff is that he tells, like, you know, half the truth three quarters of the time. Now, what do you think? What do you think of the, the the song itself as it was recorded? Um, do you think that it captured the I, essence I, I, of what you yeah, what you were trying to get? Yeah, come up with? I, I I like that version of the song a lot. Okay. And Kelly Kelly did a really good job on it. Like that that song sounds big. Like if you put that on like a real stereo and turn it up, it it sounds good. I mean, it's been forever since I've done it. Uh, and I, but I I remember you know. I've listened to the demo. I know that song well, and I remember like just like listening to Kelly's version and having it kill. Like it was like, wow, all right. That that I think that that is probably the best version of, of that song that could have been made. Great. All right. Um, well, that kind of dovetails into, and the way this is, I mean, American Soldier is is a a theme album. It's not a concept album per se, but it's because it's no, it really, it really, it really. It, yeah, it really isn't. There's like no, there's no thread through it. Well, there is a little bit of a thread into this next song, but it, it, it's only because of the dialogue, right? Because of the dialogue. <laughs> but the, the thread, yeah. the, the thread that it comes up next with the with the following track, which is the killer, it's about when that when that soldier returns home a little bit, and and, yeah. and what that soldier felt like, you know, with everything that he had gone through, and then. Speaking with his family, what what I liked about that song musically, however, um, was Scott. I thought that was actually Scott's best performance on the album, just because he was able to get some military cadence behind his drumming. Um, it really matched up well with the story that was being told. And this is this is your song. You wrote this song, so I I, I, I remember nothing about this song. I know I really? wrote it. Yeah, I, there's just it, it's like. And I remember recording it. I just don't know. I, mean, I don't remember how this song got written. Hold on one second. Okay. Oh, yeah, okay. 
I, I get it now. So that was that basically just was a baseline and a rhythm that I wrote. And then what got what got laid on top of it, you know, I, I think it was keyboards at first, and then uh, whoever played guitar on it. Um, and I wasn't I wasn't there that day. I had to fly home. Um, <laughs> so you know, I think Scott and I did rhythm tracks uh, just to get the whole thing arranged and done. And then uh, I had to fly home. Uh, to deal with family stuff and then came back and the keyboards were replaced with guitars, but the same chords and so on and so forth and the same melodies and all that stuff. I just, yeah, you know, it, it, it's interesting because I find, I find this album really fascinating because a lot of people, um, a lot of people kind of forget about American soldier and, and I, I, yeah. I we'll get to it at the end while lyrically, I, I, I think there's a couple missteps here, but, but in general, I feel hey, like at least, better it, than... It, it, at least there's no ooze on it. <laughs> oh, we're going back to the hands and in your edition of the ooze. That's a story for another day. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, you, I have so much respect for you as a songwriter, but the one song you yeah, ruined was that one. Yeah, yeah, I destroyed that thing. It didn't, it didn't have a chance. It really didn't have a chance after the ooze. It was done. Um, <laughs> It, it, it sounds like a Beach Boys song, and you're right. <laughs> but the one thing, the one thing that I really appreciated about American Soldier, and, and I really appreciated it from, I would say, up in from Promised Land. Promised Land was the last album where I really felt like the music and the vocal, or at least the, the not not necessarily the vocal performance, but the music and the story that's trying to be conveyed. American Soldier was the first record since Promised Land for them that I thought that it really matched up well track for track. Like, what was trying to be conveyed was matched perfectly by the music that was created. And Yeah, but uh, uh, like, all of Promised Land is DeGarmo. Right. I mean, it, it really is. And that that's where those thematic things and the music and the harmonies and the vocals and lyrics and everything else just come together, right? It, it's like... You needed DeGarmo. And you were, like, you I, and I, Kelly, were that DeGarmo on this record, and we, I felt we, like you we, captured we, it. We tried very hard. <laughs> uh, you know, like, I'm not even a huge fan of Promised Land, but, like, I can, I can, I can respect what he brought to it, because it's, to me, like, kind of the last real Queensryche record. I think a lot of people uh, agree with that. I would hope, you know, like I'd, I'd like to think people are listening enough to know that that uh, you know that, that can appreciate the effort that that dude put in. Um, Chris, you, you know, I, yeah, like I think he might have phoned in. What was it, Key Two K or something that he played on? No, it was uh, the oh, last, was last album with Chris was uh, after Promised Land. He did Here in the Now Frontier with him, and then he left for a while. Yeah, I think he I think he phoned Here in the Now in a little bit. Uh, and everything else was, you know, so exceptional. Like, he was, you know, I, I would say he was more than half the band, just as far as that sound goes. Uh, you know, everything that came after that, uh, you know, I don't know. I, 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 you know, some of my stuff sucks, and some of it's good, and whatever. Uh, but he, he was very consistent and in getting things done the way that that band sounds. Well, I um, think it's a, you know, I still it's, think it's a it, testament to, I think, definitely think American Soldier that was a testament to that, the growing chemistry, or, or maybe not growing chemistry at the time, but the, the work that was put in um, by you primarily, but then obviously of Kelly too, of trying to hone in on what DeGarmo had captured with them sure, yeah, in the exactly. early 90s. And, and, I, and I think it's, it's a testament to that. It, 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 it was just looking for cohesiveness, you know. It, it, it really was, and and you know, as as much as you know, Kelly and I were at odds at the time. Um, it it really would ha have happened without both of our work at all. You know, I I, I will take nothing away from that dude. <laughs> as far as getting this record done. Because, you know, if it was left up to me, I probably would have walked halfway through. <laughs> well, speaking of, of Kelly and his contributions, the, the next song um, 
on the record is Middle of Hell. And yeah. I always found this track, I, I thought like back in the day, I thought 10 years ago, I thought it split the fan base a little bit on, on who liked it and who didn't like it. For me, this song always seemed like it didn't go anywhere until the solo. And it looks like it, looking at the credits of the song, this is one, the first one on the record that has Damon Johnson and Scott yeah. Rockenfield and Kelly on there. It looks like with their old side project, Slave to the System, like a leftover track. Um, it, 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 it definitely was, and that was a concession to make everybody happy. Uh, you know, to keep everything together at that point. So mm-hmm. it was like, uh, you know, we'll use this track, uh, you know, to give Kelly some kind of stake in this record for real. Uh, publishing wise, even though you know my last publishing check from Queen Drake was seventeen dollars, because because they're thieves. Um, but it and was, uh, yeah, it, 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 it was it, it was very much like just kind of like uh, we'll we'll figure it out. I have a totally different version of that song as a demo that was written with the same lyrics and everything else. Really? Um, it was, it, so yeah. it was their Slave to the System, those guys' original demo that they had sent you? Uh, no, no, no. I wrote a whole oh, you version, wrote a of, that version song. of Middle of Hell. That, yeah. Okay, that's yeah, right. Yeah. Yep. Um, and, and, and lyrics went on it and so on and so forth. And then, you know, when it came time to make the record, uh, you know, Jeff just decided to use this other track and use the same lyrics and basically the same melody. Yeah, it, it, you know, transpose a little bit because it doesn't really fit. Like if you listen to it, like the, that track could have been so much cooler if lyrics were adapted to actually fit it. Yeah, I always felt like in its in its final form here on the album, it, it was it was meant to be at least to my ears, it was meant to be a bit of a seg rather than an yeah. actual song. And it was, yeah. and I get what was trying to be conveyed. It, it's kind of. Um, um, Tate calls it kind of hypnotic and, you know, about being, and it was a story about being, you know, home from tour of duty and pulled over by the cops. That's how Tate kind of described the song. I, I always found it to be, there was this emotional thread in it, kind of like, um, if you remember Waiting for 22 in My Empty Room from yeah, Operation yeah, yeah, yeah. Crime. I feel yep. like if you just put in the, Michael and Jeff do a solo together on that with saxophone and guitar. I feel like if you would have just kind of honed in on that a little bit, it would have connected. Yeah, or just leave the, after. Or, or just leave the saxophone out and make, make it Jeff and guitar. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, again, it's I remember it's splitting people's opinions on it at the time, but I, I still feel like it's definitely a seg. Um, the next song yeah, it, on, it, on the record was uh, one that you wrote musically and and that was called if i were king it was the first single off the record um you know lyrically i know um tate said it was about a soldier who had a a friend of his killed in battle and and what he felt about it and and his regrets about it um what do you remember from that song i thought it was pretty powerful um i i don't know it was it's the one song on the record one of a couple um that i felt like it didn't quite connect with the music, the way the vocal, the way I wanted it to connect um, with the music. I felt like it, it was kind of missing something. Uh, what do you remember from that one? Let me get to the 20-minute intro, <laughs> and, uh, and and I'll, I'll figure out where this came from real quick. Uh, Oh, good Lord, I cannot listen to all the dialogue. Hold on. Is there a song here? <laughs> good Lord. Yeah, I remember the two. So all, all, so all these intros are basically just like cut and copied to make the intro longer. Uh, after I was out of the after I was out of the scene. You know, as much as the as much as the introductions were long, I did feel like they kind of gave the record that more progressive feel. Um, that they were remember how Queensrÿche was used to playing like news clips and stuff in their music at, at one time. I thought yeah, it kind of harkened back to that a bit. Yeah, but but like all of the music parts in the front are boring as hell. It's like, let's take two chords and loop them. 
in Oh, Leo. Leo Larson wrote that with you, huh? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Um, how, uh, did it, he, how did it differ? He, was it anything different? It, it, it kind of has the same vibe to me, at least in that intro, as you heard the cleaner guitar part. It kind of reminded well, me a little bit of the cleaner guitar part in Sliver in the verse. So there was a project called The Three Tenors of Metal that was supposed to happen, and Leo and I were writing for that. I remember that. I remember yeah. that. Mm-hmm. And so that, that and Sliver are both songs from demo or were demos from from that project i had no idea so, I, re- so, I remember that back in the day yeah, so, i remember when yeah, you told was, me about it was, that it yeah. was supposed to be be kate uh halford and dio that's right it was some, dio instead of dickinson that's right yeah yeah yep. because dickinson bailed out early uh, and so, yeah, so he and I were writing for that like crazy. And so, you know, a, a bunch of songs got used between this record and others that were supposed to be for that. So Sliver and, and If I Were King were actually initially yeah, demos between initi- you and Leo for the three tenors yeah. of metal with Tate and Dio yeah. and, and Halford. Absolutely. Musically, at least. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, um what do you remember and, and, about it, if anything? I remember that song being very hard to write. <laughs> you know, they, they they wanted, like, you know, Jeff said, we, we need something that we can showcase our voices on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I tried to write it in a tempo and use chords that would work for all three of those dudes, even though they all three kind of... They, they can all sing a tenor... Yeah, but everything can't be there all the time. <laughs> so, like, if you can picture Ronnie singing on that, I think it works. And if you can picture Halford singing on that, I think it works. And if you can picture Jeff singing on that, I think it works. <laughs> yeah, I think. I mean, I forgot about the fact. I, I didn't know that this was one of those songs. I, I had a feeling Sliver was, but I didn't remember. Obviously, until you yeah. said, just said something. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I always felt with with if I, if I were King that it was something that um, I think the sentiment behind the, the song was really inspiring. Um, it was a real emotional song, and, and, I, yeah. and I thought I thought Tate did a good job with the lyrics and the melodies that he wrote. Um, I, I thought his I thought his performance on it was a little strained. Um, I don't know if he was trying to do something a little harder than than he probably should have on that one. Yeah, he was reaching far on that one, mm-hmm. and, and a little further than he could hang at that time. Right. Well, the the next one on the record is uh, "Man Down," and that's a pretty aggressive song. Um, kind of pumps back up the the adrenaline a little bit. And that that song was uh, that was something written by Kelly, at least according to the credits. Now, I remember you once telling me that that it was kind of similar to "Hundred Mile Stare," where you had a little bit of a part to that. Can you explain that? Yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of this stuff just got, or a few of these songs just got reworked, mm-hmm. and, and so it was. It, you know, I I was kind of just done. You know, like even though I came back and did more work at some point, uh, I was just kind of done of like, you know, like with my car and two, I had to sign away like you know a whole bunch of my publishing to band members and this, that, and the other, and so. You know, when all of this publishing stuff came up, I was just kind of like, okay, cool, whatever. Uh, and yeah, there, there's, you know, there, there's definitely versions of Man Down uh, that I have as demos that are, you know, very close to what got done. <laughs> I thought it was a very heavy song for them at the yeah. time. And this whole record, there were a couple of them. Like Unafraid was pretty heavy, and, and, and Man Down well, was I pretty mean, heavy. I mean, Listen to Man Down, and nobody in Queen Trek has ever written a riff like that. It's different for sure for them. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And and, and it's like it it shouldn't have been even been on the record. I don't think uh, it kills the continuity of whatever continuity there is. Because um, I I remember that one like vividly, um, and I remember just walking away from it and going like, all right, well. <laughs> Change it however you want. I'm, I'm not going to put too much time into this because I don't think it's a song that should be on the record. <laughs> Why not? It just didn't have, you just thought it didn't sound like them? 
it, it has nothing to do with Queen Drake. There, there, there is no part of it that's a Queen Drake song. In what way? Yeah. Just the way the riff is. Just the way the, the yeah, style yeah, of the riff. Just, yeah, the rhythm of it, the riff, everything has nothing to do with, you know, uh, pushing the band forward or, or making it sound like a Queen Drake song. It's just like old dudes wanting to do something cool with the old riff. <laughs> I got gotcha. you. All right. Um, you know, it, it, but you know, it, it was it was fun recording that. Well, the, the the next track on the record is, is uh, I have to admit this is one of probably my least favorite on the record. It's uh, "Remember Me," which is a ballad. Uh, you wrote it musically, and I thought musically, it, as a ballad, it was fine. Um, but I guess for me, the problem was was lyrically. I, I, I thought it was a bit sappy. Uh, I understand oh, this, it was this, a story this, about this, you know a guy missing his wife and they're being away from one this, another. Is, is, is this the one between him and his kid? No, that's the next one. Oh, that's horrible. You know, the, the, um, this is this is one you know. I I felt like the, the the what he was trying, what Jeff was trying to capture in the lyrics, I thought was definitely a part of the was definitely a part of the experience that needed to be told. I just didn't think oh, that this, his vocal captured it very well. This was another three tenors track. Was it really? Yeah, a softer one, I suppose. Then. Yeah, yeah, me and Leo. Wow, yeah. Yeah, that's me and Leo. Um, that That is a, uh, you know, that that track is actually good. It's just the, the lyrics suck. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm trying to be as positive as I can, but I, I have to agree. I'm not really. Are. No, not at all. Not at all. I, I, I mean, I did say that it was my least favorite on the album, so uh, I, I'm, I'm guilty of it myself. Um, but yeah, again, I, I thought that the I, sentiment I have, behind have, it was good. I have an instrumental of that that me and Leo did, and uh, I listen to it all the time. Like, I'll pull that up uh, just to hear it, but, yeah, I can't hear it with Jess on it. It sucks. Um, well, in my in my opinion, there's there's probably people that love it, and that's cool. Like, and God bless you, because, you know, that's the only thing that keeps me going is somebody digging something that I do. But, <laughs> wow, yeah. That's just that's a stinker for me. Well, the next song on the record is the one that um, Jeff did sing with his daughter Emily, and that was "Home Again." And again, from a lyrical standpoint, um, I think that he was trying to capture the emotion, um, uh, the very real emotion of, of you know a kid sitting there at home and missing her father or, or mother in war, and and those feelings. It came off like he was trying to put together Silent Lucidity too. Um, it really did. It really did. And, there, and there's so there's so many issues with that song. <laughs> I mean, it, it's another one of those songs that's credited to um, you know essentially Slave to the System, which was Damon Johnson, yeah. and Kelly Gray, and Scott Rockenfield, and then Tate did the lyrics. Was credited for the lyrics. Uh, yeah. I mean. Is that something that you worked on at all, or is it something, what do you remember from when you first got a hold of that song, and did you do anything on it musically? I remember sleeping at Jeff's house while it was getting done. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't think I had anything to do with it other than helping arrange some stuff and giving some guidance uh, and maybe tuning, I don't know, like... The tuning job on 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 his kid is nothing that I would have participated in because you can just hear it like it, it's it's like a rap vocal or something when they try and sing and use the auto tune thing like you can just hear all the artifacts. It was brutal, um, but you know it, it is what it is. I just remember like at some point just you know saying Kelly. You got this, dude. And going to Jeff's house and sleeping. Well, I, I will say this: I thought the I thought the choice of using Emily at the time. I, I at the time ten it, years it ago, seemed, I was it a little very sweet. I, I, I thought <laughs> I thought it was at the time. I, I was kind of annoyed because I thought it was another step of nepotism. Um, you know, involving yeah, it, family members. And I'm like, oh man, they're involving their ten year old at the it, time. You it, know, it, it it was like it would have been. For that song, to me, it would have been better if it was changed from a kid to a wife and had Pam sing on it. 
Yeah, that did. Because that did you know, like me my, as odd. Pam would have been the obvious know? choice. You really as a would wife. Have. And, yeah. And, and, and yeah, and and like marketing wise and everything, just singing wise, you know, like it, it would have been a better song with Pam on it. Absolutely. I mean, Pamela tends to make things better, so that was. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, she always does. She's <laughs> she's a great, great singer. She is a great um, singer. A really nice person too, which is a, an amazing person. Yeah, totally digger. Um, yeah, it, it would have just been, you know, it would have been a thousand times better if it was switched to husband and wife and Pam sang on it. Because if you're telling a story, you're telling a story. Tell it the best way you can. Yeah, I, I, would, I would agree with that, and I think even if you wanted to have a child vocal in there, um, and, I, and I thought it was, you know, now ten years behind us, I, I you know, and having a ten-year-old myself at this point, I, I do kind of understand, you know, the the perhaps the desire to have your kid in a song with you, and I, and I get the sentiment, but I, I also think that that yeah, it might have stood, you know, looking at it ten years ten years back. It might have been better if you know, maybe Pam was in there and maybe Emily had like a line or so um, yeah, instead like, of being featured. Like, I, it's I, hard to I, feature yeah, a ten-year-old dude, you know? Yeah, I, I, I would have used Emily like he was using the vets. As what? I said I would have used Emily like he was using the vets, right? Just for dialogue. Right. Right. Exactly. Uh, and, and and have that be the thing, and then do a duet. Yeah, that's a that's a really a really good suggestion. Hey, you should have been in the room when they were putting together the tune. Yeah, I was done at that point. <laughs> <laughs> well, the la- the last song on the album is uh, is one of your favorites, and it's called "The Voice." Um, yeah, and it features lyrically. It, it features um, it's talking about you know being injured in in battle, and and obviously it has uh, Jeff's father um, and some interview clips of Jeff's father, which I thought were was pretty emotional. I know. You're the clips you're not a huge fan of, but it was kind of interesting, the drama that that portrayed for me. So I, I really dig that. The one thing that I wondered musically, though, I mean, it definitely sounds like cashmere. What do you remember about writing the voice, and, and, and was that something like, hey, you know, Zeppelin's got this great tune, you know, I want to write something Zeppelin-y. What do you remember? I'm, 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 I'm sure that happened. I'm listening to it right now. You better skip through the dialogue. It lasts for about a minute. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> I don't even know. I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm technically advanced in some things, and some things I'm really not. Um, trying how to see, figure out how to fast forward to this nonsense. I'm in the wrong mode. What are you using a VCR? No, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I'm on an iPad, and yeah, it's just not, it's not doing things for me. Uh, okay. Let's see what track this is. There has to be a way to pull this up properly. Uh, the voice. Good Lord. Um, all right, let me look it up a different way because I cannot get to like a fast forward button on this for some reason. Yeah, oh, there we go. There, there we go. Yeah, okay. A- another uh, Snake River Conspiracy song. That's what I thought it was. Um, yeah. So that stretches back again and, to the and, early and 2000s? The early, ni- the, well, the late 90s. Late 90s. Uh, yeah, and that, that there's a whole bunch of production in that thing that just got carried over. Like, I gave them the masters, I gave them the Pro Tools sessions, and they just kept a whole lot of stuff. Now you you've told me multiple times how much you love that song. What is it about that song that that you love as a writer that you thought you really nailed? Uh, originally, it was it was a song that I'd written for uh, after my first uh, you know wife slash girlfriend that I was with for ten years mm-hmm. passed away, and it was called "Not Long for This World." Okay, uh, and so it just has emotional attachment. It, it, it's really that thing, uh, you know. There, there was nothing about any of those notes that went in there that weren't heartfelt. There really weren't. You can feel the um, emotion for sure, and especially the verses. Yeah. For me, I, I thought the yeah. verses were were really emotional. Yeah, that 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 music is still rough for me to hear, and, okay. and it's just it's just one of those things I wrote, and it's like 
okay, like that, that was where I was at at that time. And, and another thing I wish I just hadn't handed over for free. <laughs> you had a habit of doing that back in the late nine, uh, late 2000s, but you know, <laughs> Queen Strikes Queen one of my favorite bands. Well, when I was a kid, there wasn't a whole lot I wasn't going to do. Me and you both. And so it was, it, yeah. And so, so, so it really was like I'll give you the best of what I have. Uh, you know, make the best use of it, and you know. Well, not getting paid not getting paid for it now really pisses me off. Something <laughs> fierce. Like you know, there there's not too many days I don't go like, Wow. <laughs> well really you know, you know, we only have a, a couple more minutes here and, and I, yeah. I wanted to you know, there was a couple things in when you were describing the this uh describing various songs that I that I wanted to ask. And one is you yeah. know, you have all these different versions and demo versions of the record. Has Rhino Records at all, I think it's Rhino at Go, or wherever they're, whatever the album uh, label that owns the album, have they approached you at all about any sort of anniversary? They, they so don't care. They don't? <laughs> okay. They really don't. But, I mean, it, 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 if, if, if there was any interest, I would have heard, like, you know, six or eight months ago. I always wondered because I know I know how Operation Mindcrime Two was a moneymaker because you guys made it so cheaply and that obviously benefited the label too. Um, they it, didn't it really it really did. I, I I damn near negotiated that deal for him. Um, and yeah, it, it it that record made large. It made enough money to buy Jeff a boat and you know have money to live off of for years, so on and so forth. But there's no because those demos though um, because they're they're because the original record the voice uh, the voice the original American Soldier record obviously is is owned by Rhino um, that's not owned by the band so those demos that you have it, is there any legal way for them to surface would you be interested in putting them out so that people could see what it would be oh, or is that, the, the, is, that yeah, or is it owned yeah, by no, the label no the versions that I did I can throw up on YouTube <laughs> and will okay. Uh, since I'm not making money anyways. Because <laughs> no I think it would be interesting, especially <laughs> for fans, you know, for fans of the record, and there are fans of the record. I think a lot of the, um, and I'll get to this in a second, I think a lot of the, the criticism of the record was not on the songwriting. It was on the pacing toward the, at least from my perspective and from some people that I know, was the pacing of the latter part of the record. And the vocal performance was really good in some spots and not so good. And in not right in others, yeah. Um, it, it, it just relies too much on the dialogue and the the timing between songs is just it's torturous at this point. Uh, you know, like just going through this with you, it's like if I want to hear a song, I have to sit through a bunch of dialogue. You don't think that captures uh, the kind of like the Pink Floyd side of the band a little bit? A little bit, but like Pink Floyd always kept it way shorter. You know, like when we're going when we're going through the voice and having listened to, to Tate's dad for fucking an hour. Uh, <laughs> what's the point? <laughs> yeah, it's you know, certainly at, not at, something at, you at, can throw in on the car and then get interrupted no. when you're listening to a tune. Yeah, yeah I mean, at, after you hear it once, do you really need to hear it again? Uh, and and that, that's how I write songs. It's like, if, if I'm going to give you, like, a, a parts, let's make them parts that people want to hear again. <laughs> And 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 that stuff. It's like okay, you can visit this record occasionally and suffer through, uh, but it's not you know it's not Empire where you could just throw it on because you know there was somebody in the room at all times that they respected enough to listen to that said shorter intros. <laughs> So yeah, I mean, it's certainly. I think the songs are certainly strong. I, I but I, I do agree that that it's not something that you can just put on in a room. It's definitely something if you were sitting there at night, you throw headphones on, you listen to it. That's it, kind of your only a, listening to it. Yeah, it's a very self-indulgent record. Okay. It really is. Like, and, and and not even self-indulgent in the way that like these are my views because I've been through things, but more like we're trying to market this and use vets. I mean, you remember the, the contests and all that stuff that were going on and blah, 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 blah. It was just like, this is the sign of our times and we could probably sell more records if we do something that involves veterans. 
as much as I do like American Soldier, I mean, it's been hit and miss, but there are songs on there that I thought, especially I mentioned before, 30,000 Feet and A Dead, Man Word, a Dead Man's Words and yeah. Killer, songs that, that really resonated with me that I really liked. The, the, the lyrically, the thing that I, as a fan, uh, always had trouble with, and I wanted your opinion on it, was that while there are definitely the emotions of soldiers and the stories of soldiers captured, it's missing some of the... the it's missing to me some of the pride as a, a soldier's feel as a, as a, as a person yeah. who has family members. My father was a Marine. My cousin was a Marine. My dad fought in Vietnam uh, three yeah. tours of, two, two or three tours of duty. You know, one of the things, even though they didn't like to talk, I mean, he didn't like to talk about those experiences too much, when he did, he did say that, you know, the whole brotherhood and pride aspect of being in the service, and friends of mine currently, pride about being a service member and that kind of brother and sisterhood that they had, it's a real thing, you know, and patriotism, it's, 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 and it's not it's, in this record. It's very palpable, you know, like uh, one of my best friends from childhood, this guy Tom Vale, uh, just retired after, like, going straight into the military from high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he put in 20-some-odd years in the minimum. Uh, We're getting like, old. Yeah, we are. We're, I'm old. I'm, I'm Jurassic, sir. Um, yeah, so, you know, and, and, you know, he doesn't talk about his stuff other than, like, when things get really heavy. And then you just kind of get this feeling of, like, you almost feel honored to hear the story. Like, you know, so much more had to go into this to make this happen. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I am, I am so thankful that people give their lives to that uh, and, and make things happen. And, but it just feels weird to exploit it, that's all. I can appreciate that. And, and you know, I, I think American Soldier had a lot of promise, and I, I think it could have been, um, it could have been one of Queen Drake's best records had some different decisions been made, but I still think that the final product is, is a solid piece of their catalog. But, Jason, yeah. I, I really appreciate your time. Uh, this morning to talk about the record. Um, again, I, I think it, some of those songs are some of your best efforts with Queensryche, and I feel like it's a shame that some of it doesn't see the light of day anymore with um, the current band of Queensryche people um, not concentrating on anything but the original lineups material and obviously and their own. And of course, Jeff doesn't have the opportunity to really um, do that anymore as he's uh, playing Empire mostly now in, in Mindcrime. So. Um, I do appreciate the love given to American Soldier and some of the some of the stories that you had about it. I I I, I just hope my memory was clear enough that you, that this worked out for. <laughs> it, it, it absolutely for, for, did, and uh, that's why for, 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 that's why we have everything. an editor over there at Focus on Metal. He can edit out where I rambled and where you rambled, and he'll make us sound good. Because if he doesn't, I'm going to kill Richie. <laughs> I love those dudes. Those dudes are rad. They are. <laughs> All right. You know, there, there, there's not too much I won't do for you, brother. So just, you know, let me know. Thank you, Jason. I will talk to you soon. And there you go. A quite in-depth interview with Jason Slater done by our bud, Brian Heaton. Thanks again, Brian. Really appreciate it. And looking forward to more contributions to the show from you and also you know this contribution couldn't come at a better time because uh you know it came up to this week and just a lot of things going on really wasn't feeling it with putting something together and boom there you go i've got this great in-depth episode couldn't have done it any better myself great stuff great anniversary of of a fantastic album with a lot of history behind it so again um, in several ways thanks brian and uh, Again, always welcome right here on Focus on Metal. And again, also, if you want to go back and listen to Richie's original interview with Jason Slater about not just this album, but all the other albums that he was involved in, you can go up to focusonmetal.net, go over to the episodes page, scroll down, and it's episodes 356 and 357. I believe I called it Slater Reich 1 and Slater Reich 2. And uh, quite, as I said, in-depth stuff with Richie, uh, with Jason about all the things he was involved in with Queensryche. I seem to remember we actually got a, a lot of buzz on the net uh, just accidentally when that one came out just because of a lot of the stuff that was in there. 
So that will do it for this week on Focus on Metal. Not really sure yet what is up for next week. Hopefully, I'll be in a better headspace. I know that Richie has provided me several really cool chunks of audio with some great artists from some great bands. And hopefully, I'll be able to pull something together from all that stuff and make a great episode. But for this week, that's it. There ain't no more. Stick a fork in it. This pup is done. So for Richie... Myself and Brian J. Heaton, have yourselves a great meta week. And until we talk to you again next week, as always, remember... Focus on metal! Everything else is insignificant. Still here? It's over. Go home.